Savior. Let's just pray as we prepare to come to God's word. Father in heaven, we pray, quieten our hearts and minds now, for free our minds from the cares and concerns of this past week, the week to come, not even this day. And Lord, we pray, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us from your word this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may like to have that passage open in front of you in your Bible or your electronic devices. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Entitled in, in my Bible, Jesus Comes, the Storm. Stilling of the Storm story, if you're certainly my age, you would have known well if you ever went to Sunday school. And uh, we're thinking this morning, we see again, of Jesus' great authority and power demonstrated in this instance so that over nature. And I think uh, Chris entitled this in his, uh, in his plan, preaching plan, of Jesus the King of the Waves. And whilst we're thinking of Jesus, King of the Waves, we'll be thinking very much too about the disciples and how we like him. Now, I'm sure we've all had one of those days when everything's motored along swimmingly, gone really well, and at the end of the day, the wheels, as it were, have fallen off. A good day turns into a bad day. And after all the good times enjoyed earlier in the day, uh, they're totally obliterated by the crisis that's arisen. You may be out for the days of family and sunshine, uh, unlike a few weeks ago when we fried in near 40 degree temperatures. Temperature was just right, not too hot, not too cold, maybe they would have liked it. And, um, Everyone had fun. But on the way home, what happens? The car breaks down. Kids get fractures. One's sick and there's no change of clothes in the van. Starts to rain. The phone battery's gone flat. And so it goes on. Well, in our passage this morning in Mark, we find that the disciples had one of those days. And as we look at the disciples' reaction to the situation, we'll be asking this question of ourselves. In what respects are our reactions like theirs, because we see here uh, fearful disciples, we see faithless disciples, and we see flabbergasted uh, disciples. Fearful, faithless, and flabbergasted. Are we, I'm going to ask a question of ourselves, are we like them? Well, verse 35 begins, on that day when evening had come. Well, what day was that? Well, it was a day that had been spent by the Sea of Galilee. We look back to the beginning of chapter 4. We read this. He, Jesus, began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. We find here that the disciples were in the path of, of duty, following Jesus wherever he went, attending to his ministry, testifying to the world that they believed on Jesus, that they loved him, and were not ashamed to give up everything for his sake. But there was nothing better than when a large crowd turned up to hear what Jesus had to say. That was always good. And we like that, don't we? When we have to have a large crowd coming into church. It excites us. It's good. People have come to hear Jesus. But Jesus had taught them many things. Uh, and they were sure that Jesus would explain to them at some point what they didn't understand. 
we, we ended there last week in verse 34. It says that Jesus spoke to them, didn't speak to them without speaking in parables, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. I'm sure the disciples were looking forward to, to this end of the daytime when Jesus might explain to him the things they had understood. And you can imagine the disciples on that day saying, well, whose brilliant idea was that? For Jesus to get into the boat and push off a little way offshore. It makes it far easier for the crowd to hear as Jesus' voice carried across the water. <coughs> it was cooler on the water for Jesus too, and, and the people weren't jostling and trying to get close to him. That was a brilliant move, wasn't it? Because that's what we read. We read that a very large crowd had gathered. A very large crowd, verse 1, gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And so we find in our passage, evening has come and Jesus has said, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, we read they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Well, so it's an efficiency of time as... Jesus, uh, the pioneer of the European city cruise, you know, uh, go, to, go to bed, sail at night, wake up in a new port the next morning, <laughs> we can speculate. But Jesus had suggested they go to the other side of the lake. Well, little did the disciples know it, but this good day that they had by the seashore was about to turn into a bad day. A very bad day, and so much so that they were to fear for their lives. Which brings me to my first point. We find fearful disciples. Now, Water Rat may have said to his young friend, well, believe me, my young friend, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as simply messing about in boats. Now, if Kenneth Graham had written those words in the disciples' time, maybe some of them would have agreed with that sentiment, certainly the ex-fishermen amongst them anyway. Time to sail, time to relax after a long day. That might be the sentiment you'd express too. But I've no doubt that you and I would change our minds very quickly if we were about to experience what the disciples were about to experience. Because we read in verse 37, a, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. The NIV refers to it as a furious squall, so much so that the boat was nearly swamped. Make no bones about it, the disciples were in serious trouble. Now, you might have been on a ferry in rough weather and seen some passengers who are really scared, whilst others and the crew are quite calm. Ship's perfectly safe. Now, it's only if the crew, the experts, panic that the passengers really need get worried. And here amongst the disciples there are at least four fishermen, for whom being out in a boat had been a daily experience before they'd left all to follow Jesus. These men were experts, but they were panicking big time. Yeah. Waves were breaking into the boat to such an extent that the boat was rapidly filling with water. The situation was so grave that they feared for their lives. There was a real possibility that they were going to sink and they might drown. But pause at the moment, I'm going to pause a moment and liquidate my throat, excuse me.
Where is Jesus? Well, uh, pardon the pun, but he's in the same boat as the disciples. And in spite of the roaring storm, we find Jesus in the stern of the boat, asleep. Asleep on a pillar. I remind you that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And if you needed evidence that when Jesus was on earth, uh, that he was fully man, we have it here, don't we? He'd been teaching the crowds all day under a hot sun. It had been tiring, exhausting, and his body and mind needed rest. Now you may know people have been so tired that they slept through the noise of an incredible explosion or an earthquake, or even the most turbulent flight in an aeroplane. Jesus was so tired that he slept. Slept through all the tossing of the boat, maybe the shouting of the disciples as they attempted to keep the boat afloat and on course. But maybe there was another reason that Jesus was sleeping. Well, he was sleeping because there were things that his disciples had to learn and understand about him. So we find the disciples, they're at their wit's end, they can't bail out the boat fast enough. All hands are needed and they're desperate. And their fear turns to, dare we say, anger. And they, they wake Jesus. And what do they say to him? Look at verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? We're like that, aren't we? With friends and, and loved ones. When things are going well for others, but the chips are down for us when we're in difficult situations and we start to feel helpless and perhaps even sorry for ourselves or even frightened, these same words are on our lips. Don't you care? We say to our wife, our husband, our best of friends. Although if we're honest, we're more accusatory in our words and they're framed not as a question, but we shout out, you don't care. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that to Jesus? When the situation and the trouble you found you find yourself in seems so hopeless and so overwhelming, and you're so fearful that you've thought, or maybe even prayed those things, prayed those words. Don't you care, Jesus, about the situation I'm in? Martha said that to Jesus, didn't she? Do you remember when Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and uh, there was a big crowd in the house? And he was teaching them, and Martha was all busy, taken up with the serving and the housekeeping. And Luke 19, we read these words, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Are we sometimes like Martha? Are we sometimes like the disciples in the boat who come to Jesus and say, don't you care? Don't you care? But Jesus isn't mindless of our problematic situations. Jesus does care because he's the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep, to use another biblical picture. And we sang earlier, didn't we, those words, Jesus cares. <clears throat> he cares for you. I often remind my heart, when things aren't going well, of the words of the children's hymn I used to sing long ago in Sunday school. God who made the earth the air, the sky, the sea, who gave the light its birth, careth for me. Why should you, why should I fear 
when such a great and powerful God watches over us. <clears throat> Let me just quote you another lovely hymn from a lovely hymn, In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear, and safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me, my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me. Can I be dismayed? So what does Jesus do after he's been woken by the disciples? Well, certainly not what the disciples were expecting in their minds. Jesus didn't jump up and grab a pan and start bailing out water. No. Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves. Did he shout above the storm? Maybe. Scripture says he rebuked the wind. Maybe he did that in a strong, stern voice. We read, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now King Canute, remember him? King Canute demonstrated to his courtiers that human power was way short of God's power when he tried to hold <coughs> the tide to no avail because he was a mere man. It was an act of piety, not arrogance. Apparently we've got that wrong. We all think Canute was an arrogant man, but Henry Huntington, who wrote at the time, had this to say. Um, this was what the king uh, was saying. All the inhabitants of the world should know that the power of kings is vain and trivial, and that none is worthy of the name of king, but he whose command the heaven, earth, and sea obey by eternal laws. Unlike Canute, the wind and the waves obey Jesus. Just how amazing is that? But then it isn't, is it? Because Jesus is the king of the waves. He's the king of the universe. He's the Lord of the ages. And Jesus speaks here with all the authority and power that is his, that has been given to him by his heavenly Father. And, and there is a great calm, great calm ensues. Now is that nonsense? Why shouldn't this be a true record of events? Jesus has already demonstrated his power by his miracles that he performed. He's demonstrated his authority over physical sickness and demonic possession. And he now shows his authority as the Son of God on earth by this nature miracle. And it's not just the disciples in the boat who've witnessed this miracle, is it? Did you notice that little sentence dropped into the passage by the eyewitnesses of events, verse 36? We read, other boats were with him. Now, I don't believe that the squall was so localised that it only affected the disciples' boat. So, what must we notice here and learn about this event? The disciples' horrendous situation and our troubles are sometimes God's purposeful action <coughs> to teach us to trust him, whatever. Which brings us to my next point, which is we find faithless disciples here. Verse 40, Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now Jesus has called his disciples to follow him. And what is his purpose? What's the purpose of all of Jesus' miracles? Of all the parables that were the test for our ears, I think was the phrase Chris used the other week. Well, ultimately the purpose is that those who 
witnessed them, been an integral part of them, should have faith in Jesus to understand that he is the Son of God. <coughs> God's promised Messiah, who has come into the world to save men and women from their sins and reconcile them back to God their Maker. But seeing miracles and hearing parables is not enough in and of themselves. They don't induce faith automatically. Let's think about what the disciples have witnessed so far. Think of those early chapters of Mark that we've been working through. They witnessed miraculous healings. Jesus had cleansed the leper, had given a paralytic the use of his legs again, he restored his withered hand. He'd even healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. Jesus had released a man from his demonic possession, to name just a few. And Mark records right at the start of his gospel that Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. The disciples were very privileged men. When they asked Jesus about the parables, he had said to them, chapter 4, earlier in verse 11, we read this, To you, Jesus said, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Jesus is obviously expecting them to have attained some understanding about who he is. But look at his question that he puts to them in verse 40. Have you still no faith? After all that you've seen and witnessed and heard me teach, have you still no faith? No faith? That's a very harsh rebuke, isn't it? In their accounts of this incident, other Gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, express it less so. Matthew records Jesus as saying, you of little faith. And Luke records the words of Jesus as a question. Where is your faith? Well, whichever remark we consider, the implication is still the same. But in their moment of crisis, the disciples have focused on the problem and overlooked who it is that they have alongside them in the boat. They should not have given way to fear, but trusted that with Jesus in the vessel, ultimately, they would be kept safe. Jesus' work was not yet finished. He was the promised Messiah. There was work still to do. The work hadn't yet begun. This was, this was not the time when either Jesus or the disciples were going to die. But we have to ask ourselves this question. How do we react when we face problems? The storms of life, so we call them. Health issues, unemployment, broken family relationships, Issues in our workplaces, financial difficulties, mental stress and breakdown could go on with many other things. Are we all absorbed by the crisis of the moment or are we trusting Jesus to work out everything for our good? Now that doesn't mean the storm is going to cease immediately. The disciples had to wrestle to keep their boat afloat for some time. We may have to endure the problems that we have for a while. We sang it by prayer, let us wrestle. Are we all absorbed by the crisis or is our focus on Jesus? Jesus who never leaves us nor forsakes us. One of those words we sang by John Newton. <coughs> Be gone, unbelief. My Saviour is near. 
for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Now I don't know what storms you're weathering at present, or what storms you might yet have to endure. But what would Jesus, the King of the waves, have to say to you this morning, or in the future? Would it be, have you no faith? Perhaps it might be, you of little faith. Or the challenging question, where is your faith? Later on in Jesus' earthly ministry, we find the disciples in a slightly better place. And they actually ask Jesus, they say to him, Lord, increase our faith. Well, that surely is a prayer that all of us need on our lips. All of the time. So, what is the reaction, the response of the disciples to Jesus' miraculous stilling of the storm and his rebuke regarding their faith? Is their faith strengthened? Do they say to each other, wow, from here on in, I'm definitely going to trust Jesus as I've never done before? Well, no, they don't. We find the disciples moving from one fearful storm from, to another, from the physical storm to a, a storm in their minds, tempest in their minds. Which brings me to the third point. We find we've got here uh, flabbergasted disciples, dumbfounded, astonished. We read verse 41. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, if you're right, could be transported back and stand in the boat with the disciples. We might want to sh shout at them. Haven't you understood anything about Jesus in spite of all that you've seen and heard and just witnessed? You, you, dumb, you dumb heads, you know, haven't you understood? Probably already noted that, that seeing and hearing in and of themselves don't induce faith. Because faith is God's gift to us. If the disciples had been very knowledgeable of scriptures, they might have recalled one of the Psalms that might have made them think twice about who Jesus was. We find this written in Psalm 89, verse 9. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The disciples had witnessed Jesus' power over sickness and demons, physical and spiritual miracles. They've now just witnessed a natural world miracle. And you can imagine them saying, well, we weren't expecting that. Because the disciples here will find them on a path to faith or ever greater faith. And perhaps that's you this morning as you've listened to this account of Jesus calming the storm. Maybe like the disciples, you're bewildered and confused as to who Jesus is. I say is and not was because Jesus is alive. Jesus came into the world not just to do miracles and tell parables. He came to die on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave triumphant over death so that we might have eternal life. And like the disciples, we might just want Jesus to do something to get us out of a troubled spot. 
Many people in the world are like that, aren't they? No time for God and Jesus except when things are bad and they want him to put things right for them. But Jesus wants us to have faith and trust in him for our salvation, which is the most important thing. We find here the disciples had fear, feared for their physical lives. They cried out to Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? Well, Jesus cared. But I have to tell you this morning that there is a perishing that is far worse than drowning at sea. And in the Bible we read many times of an eternal perishing. Jesus himself, while he was on earth, warned about this. And it was to rescue men and women and boys and girls from their perishing that Jesus came. We all know John 3, 16, don't we? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus cares that without faith in him, you are perishing. So as you've listened this morning, are you questioning like the disciples? Who then is this man? Jesus is the Son of God. And I'll say it again, he came into the world to die on a cross for our sins, bear our due punishment, and to rise triumphant over death. And he did that so that we might have life. Life on earth more abundantly, eternal life with him forever. And Jesus' power and authority over the waves were just another of his many miraculous signs that he was the Son of God. The disciples' day that ended badly was turned into a day of calmness by Jesus. It was all part of God's purpose to bring them to an ever greater faith and trust in him. And this day, this day, 30th of July 2022, whatever happens in your life and my life, good things or troubling things, it doesn't have to be a day that ends as a bad day. Because it can end with joy in our hearts, regardless of circumstance, if our faith and trust are firmly in Jesus. Because he's the one who's taken away our sin. He is risen. And in him we have life, a new hope, and a new future. Well, we're going to sing about that in our final song. He walked on earth, showing glimpses of heaven.